0: Can uh, you turn, if you have uh, a Bible with you, uh, to Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So this morning, uh, we continue a, a little series we've been doing um, uh, from about growing in Christ, and uh, I wanted to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and share a few thoughts on that. So, To the church in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Together with the overseers and deacons. I I I think that means that the overseers and deacons aren't discounted from being the holy ones. Just like, well, there's the nice people of God and then there's the leaders. Um, they're included together with the overseas and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day Of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus and this is my prayer It's a letter of joy. It comes up lots. It's a great start. I hope it encourages you. I hope so. Just warm you up a little bit. It can be interactive. I think I referenced uh, in a, a message a few weeks ago that I have a tendency towards impatience. Did you know that? I was telling you about growing a tamarind, and I was really curious if I could grow this thing, and I, I had—I didn't really know how to do them. It's within the days before internet, and you could like, Google everything. So I, I set up different ways of trying to germinate this, these seeds. I had some in a sandy soil. I had some in like moist compost. I, I had some, but I put a bas- plastic bag over the top to make it humid and keep it warm like a little greenhouse, and... Um, some seeds I soaked, some I just put straight into the soil, great horticulturalist that I am. But in my impatience, I was kind of, nothing happened for a while, for quite a long time, and, and um, I got more and more curious to see which one was working, so I started to just disturb them and like root about, well not root about, to see if anything was happening. One of them grew, I think... Um, I disturb the others far too much. But it reminded me that there's something about life that grows. Now, I know the flip side of that is there is decay and decline and death. That is part of life. But so much of how God has created the world is implicitly about growing, about developing, of being transformed. Now, of course, it doesn't happen by accident, it doesn't happen kind of like just uh, randomly. There are things that set the scene, like for the seed, there was the soil and the warmth and the water, and the utmost care and attention from me, the grower, in my impatience. One of the things that I love about many parts of Scripture, and indeed, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, is is that there are many conditions you'd think that it would be not really feasible for this church to grow in Philippi. And I'll explain why in a minute. But he recognizes that God is at work in their life, in his life, in his experience, and that is his intention to bring about positive change, to bring growth that is good. We sometimes talk about headwinds and challenges and the things that constrain. But in Paul's letter to the Philippi, he says, look up and trust. So I hope we get that. Look up and trust. Why? Because of the faithfulness of God. He says, I thank God, my God, every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's great to be part of a community of faith. I, you, many of you know, most of you know, that I, I recently had a sabbatical. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that opportunity. And I, I had lots of great times. It was great to, to study, and it was great to, to be in other fellowships from time to time. Um, but do you know what? When I went to churches, there were a couple of things I noticed. Now, I'm not doing this just to impress you or make you kind of like, oh, aren't we great? And massage your ego. But I found myself in, in the churches that I went to kind of enjoying being in a new place and like, I wonder what it's going to be like and wonder what the preacher's like and how's the band going to be and are they going to be as wonderful as Henry and Nikki this morning? And and it was good to be there. But I found myself really missing you. Oh, you're going, yeah. or some of you going, no, you didn't. <laughs> We've got a pantomime moment coming up. Um, actually, yeah. I think it was heightened because... In COVID, in those two years when we were in forced separation, we just had to look at each other on a flat screen and it was, in, you know, we lagged and we, we, got, you know, we dropped out and we blanked the screen because we didn't like being looked at and all those things. It made us realize there is something most wonderful, and if we're honest, at times frustrating, about being called together, about this interaction of being together. And as I was reading Philippians on part of my studies, and I was coming across this verse, I was reminded, actually, I am so thankful for the church that God has called me to be part of. Us. You. I hope you are too. The very few here is encouraging. Uh, but generally true. The other thing I noticed, and this is just a little bit of encouragement to you, I'm thankful, and I know, again, we're not perfect. In the churches that I visited, um, it was quite easy to be uh, to come and be a visitor and sit down. And I have to say, in most of the churches I visited in different places in the world, very little did people come and actually say, Hi, what's your name, who are you, where are you from, and brought a welcome. And it wasn't because they were rude. And it wasn't because I had a sour face on and, we you know, can't keep away. But there is something about, I was thankful for for us, very thankful with joy, about that genuine warmth and looking out for those were coming in. If that's been your experience, I'm really glad. If it hasn't, I apologize. We're not perfect, but we really do want to be a welcoming church. It really, really matters. So this is permission. If you look to your sides now and around you, if there's someone you don't know or don't recognize, please don't uh, miss the opportunity before we go. Just say, well, he told me I had to do it. <laughs> Blame me. But it's a really good habit. Because God's at work. Paul to the church in Philippi wants to um, affirm to them and encourage them about the faithfulness of God, in who they are. The story of Philippi is, a, is an amazing one. Act 16 tells us about Paul's missionary journey. Act 16:12, they went from Macedonia. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony. And the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And it charts just in a few short verses. The amazing faithfulness of God. Who did Paul first meet? Bible test. He met a wealthy trader. By the river. And spoke about Jesus. And this wealthy, prestigious. uh, Kind of, I'm sure. uh, High society in 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 the area, a Jewish lady trusted Jesus. And not only that, she said, her name's Lydia, offered to Paul and his companions a place, said, Come and stay at my home and use my home as a place to meet. Amazing. The power of the gospel to transform life. Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth became a follower of Jesus. But not only that, the next person we're told in that act story of how the church in Philippi was planted, Paul encountered a trafficked slave girl, deeply troubled and afflicted and demonized, and with a word through Jesus Christ, she was set free and restored and added to the fellowship. Isn't that amazing? That the gospel is for each and every one of us. Here, you know that, many of you. If you don't, he is for you. This is good news and the invitation to join, to come to know him, to have him dwell within you and you in him. But it's really important for us as a church that we never forget that he is able to rescue high society and most deprived that no one is beyond the scope of grace. And then it causes a big stink in the area and they get really fed up with Paul because this traffic girl was a bit of a money earner for her owners and they didn't like the fact that she'd been set free. They were troubled. Their economy was disrupted because of the gospel. And so Paul and, and Silas were locked up in prison. And a great thing happened that night, the, the, they, Paul and Silas were singing their songs, and the, you know the story, their the, the doors were opened, and they were able to escape, but they didn't, and the jailer kind of is terrified to go, I'm going to get really, really hauled across the rocks, and he thinks the easiest way out is I'm going to kill myself because it, you know, I've let the prison escape, and they go, no, we're here, you know, uh, the jailers were not great, You visit to, you know, Warwick Castle or the Tower of London, you kind of think they're not like nicely swept clean. They're dingy dark, not just physically, but spiritually. And he and his household believe and are baptized. To coin a phrase, the gospel levels up. Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, called by the faithfulness of God into this new family. They joined the church, saved dramatically. And Paul reminds them and says, don't you remember the basis upon which all that you are now has been built on God's faithfulness? That God is at work rescuing and saving and establishing and gathering and that absolutely He is the faithful one. And you know, it only happened in a few days. That that Paul's ability to be in Philippi wasn't two years, like some places, but a few short days. And God established, and then he was kind of moved on and had to go and serve elsewhere, called on. And he writes this letter back because God was still growing what he had started in that place. If we are control freaks, and I'm not, and thank God that Philip isn't either, There's a tendency that we want to micro-imagine and think, if we don't do it, how will it happen? Is that you in your family with your teenagers or children? I mean, gosh, I know they're never going to get out of bed if you don't make them get out of bed. Um, I was talking to a colleague recently, and uh, we were reflecting about sabbaticals and about ministers on sabbatical. And uh, he was saying some ministers find sabbaticals really difficult. Do you know why? Because we have to let go. We have to step aside for three months. I was going to say three years, if only. No, three months. And uh, we have to kind of let the church, particularly if you're the soul minister, and kind of like, how is it going to go? But isn't that the point of Sabbath? Weekly rest where we don't work, we don't make it happen, we don't kind of think we've got to, to do it and work hard and earn the money to pay the bills. There's something about taking that stop and saying, God is still God. He is still faithful. And I am His. The sabbatical's sabbatical is a great opportunity for ministers to, to stop and take a, a break and refresh. But it's also really good for us because we remember, we generally do, But he's in charge, that he is faithful, that he is at work. We are here as a fellowship because of the faithfulness of God. It's a prison epistle. He writes it from prison. He is in chains. He's told them. They know that, they're concerned for him, they're worried about their spiritual father, you know, the the Apostle Paul. But Paul reminds them that God is faithful. There was a book that many of us read a number of years ago, it's it's an amazing story, The Heavenly Man, a Chinese um, leader called um, Brother Yun. And I read uh, this, and I I made a note of it. It's in, in chapter 16. He said, and writes, I had experienced so much in those four years, but God had been faithful. I'd suffered some horrible tortures, but God had been faithful. I'd been dragged in front of judges and courts, but God had been faithful. I'd been hungry, thirsty, and had fainted from exhaustion, but God had been faithful. Through it all, God was always faithful and loving to me. He had never left me nor forsaken me. His grace was always sufficient, and he provided for my every need. I didn't suffer for Jesus in prison, no. I was with Jesus, and I experienced his very real presence, joy, and peace every day. It's not those in prison for the sake of the gospel who suffer. The person who suffers is... He who never experiences God's intimate presence. Wow. There's an echo of what Paul is writing to the church. Take heart. He is faithful. Spurgeon, in his um, first volume of his biography, The Early Years, it's a good few hundred pages, I love this that he says. Finally, I bear witness that he is full of truth. True have his promises been. Not one has failed. I have often doubted him, for that I blush. He has never failed me. In this I must rejoice. His promises have been yes and amen. I do but speak the testimony of every believer in Christ, though I put it thus personally to make it more forcible I bear witness that. Never servant had such a master as I have. Never brother had such a kinsman as he has been to me. Never spouse had such a husband as Christ has been to my soul. Never sinner better a savior. Never soldier a better captain. Never mourner a better comforter than Christ has been to my spirit. I want none beside him. In life he is my life. In death he shall be the death of death. In poverty, Christ is my riches. In sickness, he makes my bed. In darkness, he is my star. And in brightness, he is my sun. By faith, I understood that the blessed Son of God redeemed my soul with his own heart's blood. And by sweet experience, I know that he raised me up from the pit of dark despair and set my feet on the rock. He died for me. This is the root of every satisfaction I have. He put all my transgressions away. He cleansed me with his precious blood. He covered me with his perfect righteousness. He wrapped me up in his own virtues. He has promised to keep me while I abide in this world. He has already prepared a mansion in heaven of unfading bliss and a crown of everlasting joy that shall never, never fade away. He did have a way with words. (laughs) But true. God is faithful and about his work. In these difficult times, I found myself listening less and watching the news less. Have you? I mean, there's a kind of draw into it. Oh, what's happened next? Who's gone? Who's arrived? Who's up? Who's down? Stock market, currency market. Who's in and out of the cabinet? And I don't make light of any of those things. But I found Actually, through COVID and since, it can be really heavy. And I found, it's not that I put myself in a hole and shut the door. I do listen, I do engage, but I found myself coming more and more again to the Scriptures because it lifts me up. Holy, holy, holy is He who is on the throne. That He is faithful. He never denies Himself. Maybe to reflect on church history where times have been dark, come through. He is faithful. You see, the church is planted in and through God's faithfulness. One six. being confident of this. If you're going to be confident about anything, be confident of this. What does he say? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ i know you're very confident of this he who began a good work in you in us remember it's to the church but also to us individually will carry on to completion until the day of Christ jesus does god lie does god lie Get in there. Does God lie? No. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God isn't a quitter. He doesn't get bored. He doesn't even sleep or slumber. He's a starter finisher. And Paul moves on to speak of... Uh, The love and compassion of God in verses 7 to 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. I just want to underline all of you. All of you. I've come across times people self-exclude themselves. Do you know that? Well, he's not talking about me here because I'm different, I'm worse, I'm better. Maybe it's been an experience sometimes when you've joined a church or groups that actually you've been held at arm's length, maybe made to feel unwelcome, maybe pushed out, maybe thinking, I'm not really part of this. It is right for me to feel this way about All of you, since I have you in my heart, Paul has grasped that Jesus' love is fully encompassing. I know it's tough, it's tough to love. But Paul, in, in what he models for us as a, a leader and what he encourages in the church, is saying his grace is enough, his love is wide enough. And if we are a people who find themselves kind of pushing others to the margins or finding them that they're too uh, difficult to get along with, and they may be very difficult to get along with, I'm not naïve but we have to call upon the love and compassion and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us in those difficult movements because Paul is absolutely right. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus remember he's he's struggling with the bickering women in his church there's two of them who are co-laborers who have fallen out and he has to write to them and say please sort it out <laughs> they really should have known better i mean church life is always amazing isn't it it's never bumpy and difficult we never kind of like find that someone has blanked us on a sunday morning Or you just feel lost in a crowd. Sometimes it sometimes needs us to just have a little courage to join in. And also for us to be outward looking and embracing. Paul loves the Philippians deeply. He's not just trying harder. He's not being kind of uh, superficial and idealistic. Nor does he just bite his tongue. He does challenge things when there's disunity and division and corrects people and challenges people and says, This isn't the way that Christ has called us to be. We have to address difficulties, but with the love of God that he knows. And in doing so, that brings growth and that brings fruitfulness. To another letter nearby, Paul writes in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, very similar words. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, Paul didn't plan this church, but he's writing to them. We've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge, the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Paul wants his churches, those people in faith, to grow in their love of God and for one another, but links it implicitly to their complete knowledge. He wants them to know the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To be shaped in in who we are, in our mind and our life and our lifestyle about who Jesus is and how he is at work in us and through us. And to grasp God's will for us. And to be fruitful. In in John, it's it's not Paul writing, uh, but Jesus in John's gospel. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. But in this prayer, as he outlines the faithfulness of God and how much love and compassion God has and, and we have for, and seek for each other, he drives them towards and urges them towards the family in Philippi about praying for growth. Mindful of the day of Christ in verse 10, that the goal and the destination, the certainty, the hope that Jesus will return. We are not left abandoned and forgotten. He is on the way. It says, be prepared for him. Reminding us that God is at work for purposes and, and, until Christ returns, that we are called to join in and to grow. That our growth and love may abound more and more in limitless growth. That word knowledge isn't just uh, about head knowledge, but it's a word that signifies complete knowledge. That so Paul's prayer for the church is that they would keep growing in this knowledge, this complete knowledge about every aspect that we possibly can about the goodness of God as a church family, to live in that knowledge, to counteract, to be the antidote to all of the struggles and the the challenges that a broken world manifests. That your love may abound more and more, limitless, I found these last verses of of chapter 1 and verse 9 to 11 really helpful in the last few years. And this is my prayer. The reason I began to think about it was I was was reflecting a little bit on those prayers of Paul. What does Paul pray? If you're reading through his letters, see what he prays about. It's, It's good to see. If you're kind of stuck in prayer life... See what Paul prays or see what Jesus prays, kind of as a a good prompt. And I was reminded, I said, uh, uh, as I read it, and this is my prayer. And I was like, okay. And he prays this for the church, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I found myself praying that for myself. Of taking that scripture, of reading it through until I can mostly remember it most of the time. As a memory verse. And sometimes reading it slowly and stopping and pausing... And thinking that your love, Edward, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? Because in knowledge and love, depth of insight, we are able to discern what is best. Not just what is good. What is best. What is pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And you know what? As I've prayed that, I've been praying it over those people that are very special in my life. and My God children, they get to be the focus of this prayer often. As I pray for them in their growing up and their life stages, I've kind of like at times run out of praying, Lord, help them be good children, not disobey their parents. Good prayer to pray. But I found... This has really enriched my praying for them. Pray this for your children. Pray this for your grandchildren. Pray this for your families. And you know what? It's also been an undergirding basis of praying for us. For us as a church family. For us as Chipping Camden Baptist Church. For those who've been here and who are joining with us. The very first pastor I learned from when I became a Christian at 19 often used this phrase when he was preaching and teaching. And it was on a little desk thing on his desk, and it was on a poster. And and he he talked about it often, but I remembered it. And with these verses in mind, he, he used to say, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character. Reap a destiny. Paul, as he writes to these dear friends who were facing troubles and stress, and they were anxious about Paul, what would happen to him. He was in jail, and his life wasn't going to live much longer. And they were in a culture where there was division and and arguments amongst the leadership, and, and they were in a culture that was making it harder and harder, and they'd been established by God, and they were a real mixture of people, Lydia the Wealthy and the Slave Girl and the Jailer and and all those others who'd come to be part of it, and how does this work? And yet God is faithful, and His love and compassion abounds. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Whatever our context, have faith. Ask his Holy Spirit to fill us with love and compassion. Sister and brother, let's grow in knowledge, depth of insight. Amen. Amen.